Welcome to Fields of Consciousness, the podcast for consciousness conversations with myself, Jeffrey Stegman. And myself, and Clayton Stegman. <laughs> As consciousness explorers and founders of Focus Life Force Energy, we're here to bring a holistic approach to consciousness and share practical examples of how you can take your life to the next level. From your thoughts to your environment, let's explore together how consciousness interacts with our everyday experiences. In our last episode, we discussed the concept of consciousness. In this episode, we'll cover fields of consciousness and how they express through people, places, and things. Welcome to the podcast. Jeff and Clayton here on the Fields of Consciousness podcast. Today we'll be discussing what are fields of consciousness and how they show up in people, places, and things. So Clayton, what, what are fields of consciousness? Can you help us out there? Yeah, so a field of consciousness is a quality and a quantity of energy. It's also known as a feeling, and this includes the history of the place, the land, uh, the people in the area. It's uh, mm. a compilation of thought forms um, in the space, you know, which includes the humans and their relationship with the animals. A lot of the native traditions mm. talk about uh, animals and how they... Um, influence an area. Um, we didn't, I just reminded of a story. There's a famous story about loons. It's one of the um, birds that you might have met, uh, seen up in Maine, Jeff. And when a pair of mm -hmm. loons uh, or a loon dies on a lake, if a new loon or pair of loons moves into that lake, they sing the same song that the previous loon sang, the same song that's been on that land uh, for, well, I guess maybe indefinitely. Wow. Like the memory of the song, the is memory there. of songs on the land. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, I interesting. Love that story. Yeah. So people commonly think of it as energy. Like you walk into a space and say, wow, it, the energy feels good or the energy doesn't feel good. So you're saying it's, it, the there's a quality of the energy and maybe a quantity, like a really intense space could be like the quantity, like somebody feels really good or, or really, bad, really yeah. bad. Is that? Yeah, exactly. That's, um, of course, different people have different levels of sensitivity, but you can't ignore the, the quantity aspect of it. It's, it's like, um, mm. you know, when these pilgrimage sites around the world, it's the, it's almost the level of intensity of the positive energy makes the positive experience or or in some cases what are known as non-linear events or miracles happen because it's that mm. typically a level of devotion that people have brought to the land and oftentimes mm. there is uh you know certain energetic influences in the area like there's ley lines crossing and there's things that amplify the experience mm. uh, naturally like many churches of course are built over ley lines where the the pulpit where the preacher is is giving a sermon from 
you know, in, in a traditional sense, there's a crossing of ley lines there because it's an, it's an ampli- amplification of energy. So people that designed these, hmm. uh, these spaces in the past knew this. And in some ways it's a lost art and in some ways it's, you know, it's, it continues to grow. Um, but those are a couple of real life examples and, you know, they're everywhere. The fields, they're not just with people, they're in objects and around spaces, as we've said. So, yeah. Yeah. People, people places, places and things. And yeah, I've noticed in cathedrals in Europe, uh, that feeling, you know, you walk in, say the, the front door where everybody comes in and there's a certain feeling. And I've noticed that the closer I get to where the priest, you know, is delivering, I mean, normally I'd be visiting when no one, you know, there's just a crowd of people visiting, but the, it seemed the closer I would get to the front, the more intense the feeling would be. Like that quantity of energy was higher and the quality would be such that like in the front row, if I sat down in the front row and I did this a number of times, my mind would just be mm-hmm. empty. It would feel like the, the quality of the energy was, was just clarifying or cleaning out my mind. Um, so cathedrals, really, I've, I've noticed that, and it seems to be very local in the cathedral itself, like the closer you get to the front, the more it was happening. Yeah, I mean, some of these cathedrals, especially some of the ones in Europe, like Chartres and the well-known ones, it, it took 300 years to build, you know, hundreds of years to build. And mm. so you have obviously a, a pretty conscious decision to build that type of building where there is an energetic imprint that is most relevant for what's going to happen on that property. And then you have mm. literally hundreds of years of tradespeople, you know, they'll cover the finest tradespeople in their craft, working on the land, uh, you know, like with the buildings and all those, those, those marble pieces of marble or granite, whatever they're working with, they're all holding the thoughts and the devotion of the tradespeople. And, and typically mm. there's different prayers at different, uh, and celebrations at different, uh, levels of completion of, of the, of the cathedral. I, I know I swung a hammer for a few years back when I was a kid. And one of the things they always did in a building was when you put the roof on, you had a party. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of a similar thing. Yeah. I had a, party experience recently you could say it felt that way the energy was really uh strong and and uh, very exciting and fun was going to a, a dance performance so you know we walked as soon as i walked into the auditorium just this level of excitement and of course everyone's buzzing and talking um but you know there's this beautiful lighting up on the stage and you know the lights come down but they're the, the quality of energy was really uh, of like excitement and anticipation and beauty. And um, so what, what's going on there, Clayton, like in a ballet troupe or a dance troupe um, that would create that kind of energy or that field of consciousness in that space? Well, when you get into something as um, at the professional level of a, like a Broadway musical or, um, God, what's that troupe? They put on cats and uh, you have all these people swinging from these uh, silk uh, or uh, ropes. It'll come, it'll come to me. They were uh, Cirque du Soleil, yeah, in uh, Vegas. 
well, that's where I, that's where I was opposed to them. Um, so you have, you know, a historical tradition with ballet hundreds of years old, and you have a disciplined devotion physically as it relates to movement, you know, the strength of the dancer, the form, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of endurance involved in that and just general fitness. Um, you seem to be, a, the audience seemed to be part of it too. In this case, like there was a feeling of like anticipation of the performance. And of course this was, you know, people hadn't seen a performance for the whole year. Uh, so it was one of the first ones. So, um, does that part of it too, the audience and the space? Yeah. I've noticed, you know, as the restrictions are lifting from COVID, if I go to a live event, there's an extra level of electricity in the air. Literally, it's like almost crackling. Um, I think it's just that we've been apart from each other for so long in large groups that there's an extra level of anticipation. And uh, But in general, there's a reverence, you know, the audience uh, has for what it takes to be a professional performer at that level. And, you know, there's an anticipation and, and just the appreciation of the artists. I think in, probably in Europe, it's a little more um, well-known when you go to the opera where, you know, your parents took you and your grandparents took your parents and, and they, they know the arias, they know the songs, they know which, you know, which note the singer should be hitting at a certain level. And, and you know, if they've practiced a little bit themselves, they have a personal experience of, uh, of what mm -hmm. that is. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, there seemed to be like a potential energy building uh, prior to, and then the kinetic energy of the event, uh, which I'm sure could be true for sporting events, where the the field that was created or activated by all that first anticipation of the potentiality of the event, and then the actual you know movement and the you know it's just gorgeous movement and and uh, you know like watching the olympics is mm -hmm. a similar kind of thing we're like wow the human body is just amazing that it can do these things and do it so beautifully and perfectly and uh the interaction between the dancers so um so there seemed to be both the anticipation and the kinetic energy of it yeah it's a good point especially in the physical arts i mean we all have a body that we have to move around and sometimes it doesn't always cooperate. So when you see somebody moving that gracefully and doing extreme maneuvers of strength or flexibility or coordination or speed, you know, whatever it is. So like Olympics are a great example um, because mm -hmm. we're just more, it's more relative. Not many of us take ballet, you know. So being in that, you know, in that location, in that uh auditorium at that time you know this field was there this feeling this energy was there and what we're saying also that that can you know also be in place and remain there you know that there's a history of that energy that builds up over time so all the performances in that auditorium accumulate that energy so maybe even between performances you may feel the energy when you walk into the space Yes, and that's true on the positive and also on the negative. Um, I know that in some mm. places in, uh, in Europe and England in particular, 
uh, at least that's what I'm aware of, is the, the soccer games because I'm a soccer fan. And they have, you know, a lot of fights mm. and, and riots and there's certain areas where they, in the stadium mm. where they tend to happen. And and um, I imagine the challenge with, you know, ballet might be vanity or, uh, or, or something to that effect. But, you know, there's also the dark mm. side of that. You know, if you've ever, ever walked into a, a war, uh, an old battlefield, a war zone, or an old prison, like mm. if you go on a tour of Alcatraz Island or someplace like that, you know, that energy is still there. But, but you know, mm. thoughts are things and an energy mm-hmm. uh, gets held in a space. Yeah, so we can, we'll get more into places mm. in a minute. I'd love to explore more of that yeah. with you. But I'm also thinking about between the troop members mm. in a dance group, you know, that there's this field act created where they're, able to move in such, you know, synchron synchronicity. Um, and it reminds me of uh, books I've read and studied related to fields between uh, firefighters and first responders, rescue workers, where they're connected to each other, even though they're maybe at a distance in say a rescue area like this, what's happening down with the condo in Florida, where um, they're searching and someone is, there's a nonverbal communication that get, that is reported in these instances where the rescue workers are communicating with each other and doing things that are not, uh, you wouldn't see them communicating, but they were not even looking at each other, but they're, they're coordinating in a way that's just a natural uh, there seems to be a field that's activated in those kind of situations between people or, you know, in, in a group that may be similar to what's happening in the, in the dance group. Yeah, I remember once I was uh, going out to this event and it was uh, I was living in the lower mainland near Vancouver and um, someone was coming to pick me up from the bus stop had taken the bus out towards this farm. There was going to be this event at a farm. And the person who was picking me up, they kind of knew what time I was going to be there and generally where I'd be standing, the big bus terminal. And uh, we had a few minutes uh, of kind of looking for each other. And then finally, we, we just called each other on our cell phones. And what they said was, you know, I didn't want to call you on my cell phone. I wanted to connect with you telepathically and find you that way. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, since gotten cell phones, I mean, I can, I don't even know some of my friends' phone numbers because I just pull up my cell phone and dial it. So yeah, so, the connection between people is, uh, yeah, you remember you telling me about that, those firefighter stories, they've really tested that. Like there's, they've got some good science around it. Yeah. There is. Yeah. Yeah, there is there is some kind of field and what this research was doing was trying to how do we recreate this you know say in a business environment or other creative environments and um, it seems like uh, dance troops would be a place to study as well and there's this kind of sports teams where that uh, nonverbal field is created between people and it's something that uh, we do in our work together the, the two of us and with other people in our in the FLFE business is um, consciously create a field over time where um, it makes the work and the creative creative parts of what we do 
happen more easily or truth uh, seems to appear in these higher fields uh, more naturally in higher ways. So. Yeah, there's things that I'm trying to figure out on my own and then when we get together, I can get the answer. I just can't get it on my own. And oftentimes it's related to, uh, to our business because that's the field we've created and it's there. Mm -hmm. So we talked last episode about walking around in the world and feeling in your body, what it, what it feels like. And that, so walking into a place, say, uh, like, Mm. like you mentioned a prison or an old battlefield and feeling that energy or that field of consciousness that's there. What other what other examples can have you had walking around Clayton in the world? Yeah, well, I was um, it's on holidays once in the Middle East, and it's a World Heritage site. It was a large, a large oasis that you know, really became the capital. I mean, water is, you know, water is essential to life. And they built this enormous fort around the, uh, around the oasis, around the the spring. And in the fort, there was these places where, uh, you know, there was traps where you'd have like a pit you'd fall into and there'd be like, you know, they took the stakes out in case somebody fall in, but there'd be like, you know, stakes at the bottom. And those places had kind of a weird energy around them. And uh, different parts of the fort just felt different. But the place that I really noticed was in the, pr- the prison where they had uh, people shackled up and, you know, the extreme heat over there. People would really be suffering if they were, you know, especially they were dehydrated. And when I walked down into that area where those people were, uh, you know, there, there was chains on the walls and the shackles for the feet and everything. And that was one of the creepiest places I've ever been probably as creepy as, mm. as any place I've ever been. So that's a real, mm. you know, it's kind of a real life story of, you know. So, yeah, it's an example of a sort of a, a negative or low energy yeah. feeling, a field of consciousness that has that sort of experience there. And we've talked about cathedrals mm-hmm. and places where people are meeting and, and, connecting with divinity or celebrating the beauty of life, like in the uh, uh, performance space for the dance troupe. And um, I guess, I guess sports would fit into that same, you know, in a place, a stadium that has, uh, you know, regular audiences, like you you mentioned soccer in the U S football and baseball and so forth. Yeah. And there is this thing called uh, the home team advantage, right? You know, statistically, mm-hmm. people win in their home, uh, their home arena because of the fans. You know, there is people that typically travel in between games, but the fans come to the to watch the home team. They cheer them on, and I think the positivity and the love that they're getting from the fans, you know, energizes the players. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a real example. So, Clayton, do you think, in terms of the history of the place and the field of consciousness held by this crystalline structure or by the space would also affect the, the game in that way. I mean, you've, so it's, you've got the fans that are there at the time, but you have the fans mm. from maybe decades of games there Yeah, and, thought, and all the practice yeah, sessions. I yeah. thought about that as much as the live event. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm. I don't know how we mm-hmm. measure that, but 
my measure, my inner measurement geek is uh, trying to figure out how to do that. <laughs> so that's, you know, we've covered places and, and it appears from our work and things we've noticed in, in the FLFE uh, environments is that a field of consciousness can be portable. I mean, people move around, so their consciousness fields move around with them. But it can also happen with an object. Um, and you've got a story about a, a, a Dorje, a Tibetan object in the field around it. What was that story, Clayton? Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. So a friend of mine was in India and they walked into this um, shop. I think it was up in, I don't know if it's pronounced Lapsa or Laksa, where the, where the Dalai Lama has moved to. It was in that area. And the shopkeeper had some of the people who were escaping from Tibet during the Chinese invasion. Um, he would sell some of the artifacts that, that were from the, from the temples because they were just trying to help people get out of Tibet and, you know, people were starving. So they were, the, uh, the abbots actually asked that people that were getting out, take these objects, sell them and, and get the money back to help mm -hmm. more people escape. And so she walked into this, uh, this shop and she had a sense of going to the back corner and she went to the back corner of the shop and there was, uh, you know, kind of some rugs in a pile and some fabric on top of it. And she had a sense there was something under that pile that was pulling her. And she went and asked the shopkeeper and he came back uh, and under the blankets and the, and the rugs um, was a double dorje. And um, the, the shop owner knew the brother of a, of an abbot or the leader of a, of a Tibetan monastery and the intent, the intentedly or uh, with intent put that double dorje in that back corner and they would only sell it to a person who came and, and found it on their own volition. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. this lady was a spiritual devotee. She'd been on a path for, uh, for decades her own way. And, um, mm -hmm. and that's how she became the steward of the Dorje. And, you know, and she, she mm -hmm. purchased it and that helped those people, you know, get out of Tibet or mm -hmm. feed the people that were needing fed or clothes, whatever. That was, um, you know, it's a pretty mystical kind of story, but, you know, those Dorjes, that Dorje had been, I think it had been in that one monastery for 300 or 300 years. And so, it, mm. you know, people had been praying with it and working with it. So it, it had a consciousness from, from all of that and plus the intention for it to be found. And so it attracted her. So in some future episodes, we may talk about attractor fields and how consciousness can be an attractor. But in that case, she was like, it was like a magnet to the back of the shop for her. Yeah, that was a great story. I'd, I'd forgotten about that one. Um, yeah, it's, you know, you just can't make that stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we talked about, um, you know, fields created between people, um, like as we've experienced mm -hmm. in the creation of FLFE, uh, 
um, that this quantum, it's commonly known as maybe a quantum resonance or a quantum association, or at least in the quantum world, where you have a connection that occurs, you know, with no space or time delay. Um, classic example being when you think of someone and they call you, you know, a few seconds later. And what we believe is there's a field activated when the person thinks of you. So you have this connection between two people. One of them is thinking of the other one and that connection then or quantum resonance occurs and they think of you know, they think of them and they call. And many of us have, have experienced that. Yeah, I don't think I've talked ever talked to a mother and they didn't have some story about how their child was in some kind of trouble or something was wrong and they knew it. You know, my, my mother's told mm -hmm. me different stories when I was a kid. One time I, they were doing some construction on the street and there was like a, you know, one end of it was kind of graded going in and they were digging up, I think, the sewer line. You know, I was a kid. I was just walking around and, you know, turn your head, turn your head and the kid will be gone, right? And I ended up in this ditch. It took them a long time to find me, but mm -hmm. she knew that there was something wrong before they figured out I was lost. Mm -hmm. So I think every mother yeah. I've talked to has those stories. Yeah. Perfect example of that, that quantum yeah. connection. And it seems to happen with pets too. Um, I know my dogs in the past, um, others in the household would say, well, the dog seems to be waiting by the door when you're on your way home. <laughs> and it's not the same time, but the dog seems to know that you're on your way home. So I'm sure other people have had other kind of pet examples. And there's actually some people that did uh, plant research on, on uh, doing, uh, you know, wiring up plants and looking for energy movement there and, you know, them anticipating someone coming back to the laboratory who had burned them with a uh, match previously. The plants like screaming <laughs> uh, when the person turns around and heads back to the lab. So there's, there's definitely something going on there, uh, this connection uh, between us all. So that's, that's another type of field creation that we believe a consciousness field between two two or more people yeah that's i think the that's out of the book the secret like secret life of plants i think that's what it's called i know i've yeah i've yes, read it but, right. you know, i've read a lot of books yeah i mean we mm -hmm. we get you know we can go down the road into the mystic mystic arts i mean it's a it's a whole profession i, I believe if it's done properly Mm -hmm. There are people that have that gift and refine it. And, mm. you know, it's, it's known in certain, you know, police departments and things. They have people that they call upon to try to solve crimes that they're not able to, uh, they're not able to solve any other way. And so. Mm. So there's also consciousness um, around, you know, a person. So we all have fields of consciousness mm -hmm. around us, what we're saying. And, we're accessing those or we can feel the energy of it. Um, and there's also the energy or consciousness around someone's work, like body of work. And I know we've talked about like someone that's really an expert in finance or money and how that can affect you being around, either watching their video, being around them or reading their work. 
Tell us more about that, Clayton. Well, there's such a charge around money, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, I mean, <laughs> it's just a lot more than a means of exchange. It represents our survival. It represents many getting many of our emotional needs met. It represents power mm-hmm. in the world. And you know, there's there's mm-hmm. you know, there's a story out there that money is evil, and then some people say, no, it's the love of money is evil, and that relates back to some biblical you know quotes that 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 are oftentimes the source of quite a few of our beliefs. And um, I think we were finding some examples of people that have a high level of consciousness in, in you know, managing their money and have taught it for many years and how when you're watching those people, watching their video or um, you're in a program with them of some type, there's a type, there's a piece that comes from their, uh, their presence and their knowing, you know, like you have a question, they have an answer and there's a system behind the answer and there's a reason and there's a history of success. And uh, I think an example we talked about was Dave Ramsey. He's really well known. And for certain types of people, he really fits. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And would, would you say Clayton, that there is a transmission? I mean, in that field of consciousness mm-hmm. around that person around money, can it, change your own way that you relate to money uh, through that field? Absolutely. Um, I mean, Sherilyn, my, my partner, she's a certified management accountant and um, she doesn't have a lot of drama around money and what it means. Um, and so mm-hmm. when you're around someone who's really healthy, if you're not that healthy, you're likely to get healthier. If you're around someone who's at mm-hmm. peace with money and what it means and it's symbology and, you know, if they've had enough for a while and they're not, you know, scrambling for money, there's just a calmness. So yeah, your transmission is, yeah, it would be probably pretty similar to a field, probably part of a field I would, I would imagine. Is that similar to like grace of the guru, you know, like sitting this, what's known as grace of the guru, where you sit in the presence of someone that's high consciousness and you know, have an effect on your own consciousness. I would imagine you've experienced that when you went to uh, to the Wonders University, Jeff, and <laughs> spent time with Bhagavan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and <laughs> Alma the Hugging Saint. Saint. Oh, yeah. is a, she's a great example. As you drive into the parking lot, there's a place near Chicago that she, she has her center, and you drive in the parking lot, you start to feel it, you start to feel the energy, and uh, you walk in a building, it's even more so. And then as you go up to get a hug from her, at the closer you get, just the more intense the, the, the field is, the energy is. I know you've been to see her oh, as well. Oh, it's visceral. Yeah, you can actually, as you're sitting in line waiting. Yeah, definitely. When you, it, I noticed in the parking lot, it was in the Seattle area when we went. And um, yeah, there was the parking lot experience. And the hotel was close by and you're kind of in this bubble. And uh, and then you go into the event, and eventually you get in line. Hopefully, if you haven't had a hug before, you you get a you know you get preference. And as you're going up towards the stage, you know there's uh, there's that energy. And um, mm-hmm. I remember once I was uh, I've been to a, I've seen Dr. Hawkins a couple times. That was the highest field I think I've been in. I was standing. I was standing in line to ask a question. So he does Q and A's 
uh, for a large part of the day. And, you know, hundreds of people are lining up. And um, I was about 50 feet from the stage, and I've been standing in line for probably an hour. And I'm behind my friend Wade. This is down in Los Angeles. And there's, you know, 880 people in the room. It was sold out. And, you know, standing there for an hour and a half, I was a little bit tired, but it just felt like my knees were getting weak, you know. And the Wade's the, you know, he was five-time All-Canadian Natural Bodybuilding Champion of Canada. I think it was five times. Uh, regardless, he's in extraordinarily good shape. So Wade's in front of me. I said, tap him on the shoulder. And it's like, wait, is it is it just me, man? Or is it like the energy around here? Because I can hardly stand. He looks back at me and he's like, oh, man, I'm like, my knees are buckling. <laughs> so the same thing. <laughs> so And then he said, yeah, look at the people on the stage. And I couldn't really see the stage that well. And there's people on different parts of the stage. And they were like on their chairs, but they were just like, you know, they could hardly sit. And uh, yeah. the field coming off, Dr. Hawkins was like, the way we described it later, it was like a solar windstorm. It was like, you know, you're like in a windstorm mm-hmm. and that sand just like kind of sandblasting you. It's like particles mm-hmm. of light just blasting you. And it was just, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was like one of the best experiences yeah. of my life. And that's Dr. Dr. David yeah. Hawkins. Uh, yeah, that same was really the same with Amma, the fucking saint. She just... Um, the energy was just just so overwhelming, but I think in her case, the the field of consciousness around her is really maybe it's the same with Dr. David mm-hmm. Hawkins. It was around evolution and around yes. evolving, and self forgiveness seemed to be a big part of her and unconditional love. Yeah. You know, because you get these hugs and it's just like you just broken open. Yeah, for her, it felt like a blessing from this, a representation of the sacred feminine. You know, when she takes you and she pulls mm-hmm. you in and I know it sounds like Mabula, mm-hmm. Mabula, Mab, she says something like that is probably my son in her language. And um, yeah, I mean, all, all of us have stories about, you know, women in her life or men in her life or children or parents and, you know, they happen to be a certain gender. So we, we create this, you know, sometimes unconscious disconnection from that part of life and um, mm. when I went to there, I felt like there's a lot of stuff just got fixed, you know, stuff I wasn't even aware of. And, um, mm. yeah, hopefully you get to see her again yeah. now we can travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The divine, the divine feminine field yeah. of consciousness, it's a beautiful place to be. So the other area that's interesting and we've, we've noticed in our work on FLFE around this as well is, sort of thought forms or fields of consciousness related to, let's say, larger groups of people, um, you know, like collective, sort of collective consciousness. Could you talk a little bit about that, Clayton? That's really an interesting one, too. Well, the first thing that, uh, that's coming up is, you know, we talked about the Olympics. So when you're watching mm-hmm. uh, the Olympics with... Um, I don't know, maybe there's a billion people watching it at the same time. When somebody wins, you know, uh, win the event or, you know, the runner across the fi- finish line or there's an extraordinary performance, well, they usually mostly are, or gymnastics, you know. There's just this surge of energy while we're all connected in a positive way. It's really, mm. um, it's really quite something. 
And that's the power of, you know, media on the positive sense when we're unified in, we'll say, inspiration or a celebration of somebody's performance uh, or if there's a live music event and it's, you know, for the most part, pretty positive, then it's a celebration of life. I mean, halftime at the Super Bowl, right? That's a classic, you know, big, big party. And, and of mm. course, then there's the negative side where if you're connected to a large group of people and something negative happens, I mean, you know, the image of 9-11 is just coming to mind for me, you know, that was just played so much. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. then you get pulled into that collective anger or fear or whatever is happening. So live events, you know, mm-hmm. I think you've got to have your wits about you a little bit more than if you're watching something that's pre-recorded or if it's on your own schedule, mm-hmm. like, you know, the streaming services, Netflix, Prime, you know, Disney, mm-hmm. Google, Apple. Yeah. So that collective collective consciousness or collective event or energy that's occurring, when it's live, it hooks into our system, isn't it? Like our my actual energetic physical system is really like connected to all those people and to all those feelings at the same time. Yeah. I mean, the level of sophistication um, yeah. of the recording and the planning of those events, they know the reaction that people are typically going to have when you come from left to right or right to left, if something's going to happen, if it's mm-hmm. a really well-planned media event, it's a science. Mm-hmm. They've got it down to a science and, the science is to mm-hmm. is to move people in a direction, and um, mm-hmm. you got to be really conscious about uh, how to how to manage that. And there are techniques to do it. Mm-hmm. Even if you're watching a movie with people mm-hmm. in in, oh, in an audience, I remember as a as a young man going to see Jaws, you know, and uh, <laughs> the guy next to me he'd seen it a couple times, right? And uh, he took me in. And uh, I think part of the fun he had of going with people the second or third time, he did the same thing with Star Wars. He was a real movie buff. So I'm sitting in the, literally we are like in the front row because we got there late and it was sold out. And, you know, I've got a death grip on the on the arm, right? And he's like, looked at me and he laughs me and pokes me. It's like, man, you know, it's not real. Relax. <laughs> but by that time, you know, like, I, think, I think it was that scene where the where the shark was up on the back of the boat, you know, and trying to eat the you know and they're i think they were just yeah maybe shoving that uh air tank into its mouth or something anyway some some right around that scene and he was he poked me a couple times during the movie he totally caught me i was just like in the movie yeah so these are like events or in that case a movie it's it's something that's playing over and over but live with an audience who's also all going through the same thing at the same time but so in a live event, say it's a say it's a negative live event that's happening. You, even if it's bad news, you know about something that's going through the world, and a lot of people are watching at the same time. Um, do you recommend just kind of disconnecting from those things and maybe watch it later when it's not live? Yeah, I mean, um, that's how sensitive you are. Some people are just thick. That's a blessing, you know. Uh, we, we got a friend, uh, won't mention his name, but we call him a blunt instrument of the Lord. <laughs> that guy is, he's got a thick skin, man. He's got, so it might not affect him that much. And there's other people who are really sensitive. You know, we got one lady on our, mm-hmm. our team, Maria, you know, highly sensitive person. Uh, 
Uh, for someone like her, she might find it a lot harder on her because she's just wired that way. She, that's not the way she is. So um, mm-hmm. one of the things that I learned, for example, if you're in a movie theater and you're finding yourself being pulled into the story and it's not a negative, it's not, sorry, not a positive uh, experience, it's kind of negative, is to just, you know, consciously lift your feet off the ground when you're kind of disconnecting, you're consciously disconnecting your body from the earth. And if the focus is on you're lifting your feet off the ground or just holding your tongue to the top of your mouth, if you're focused on that, you're not as connected to the movie. And so mm, I found, interesting. you know, when I get into movies and I'm getting caught in that, those situations, I didn't know that as a kid watching Jaws or, or Star Wars, uh, this guy took me to. It's a buddy of mine. You know, I was just kind of got lost in it. And that was part of the fun is you get to go into another world, of course, and imagine what it could mm-hmm. be like. Uh, but I know, I know people that had a hard time taking a bath after watching Jaws. You know, they were so traumatized. They just, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They joked about it, but it was, you know, they couldn't go in a lake or anything. That's for sure. So there's, there's events and um, then there's, sort of an accumulation of thought forms or belief systems. Uh, I mean, that can be historical, like over a long period of time, people's thoughts, you know, books, recordings, speeches that can create something that continues on. Um, It's, you know, such a, you know, it just seems like uh, it doesn't fit in with normal, what we, how we normally think about it, but let's talk about that a little bit, Clayton, like how belief systems, uh, thought forms accumulated can continue on and affect us and uh, affect us now in this time, even though maybe something from geez, even hundreds of years ago. Well, I think, you know, you might be a good example of that, Jeff, you're in a multi-generational business, right? Third generation. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's been a well-run business. I keep forgetting the, like it's 170 years old, one of the, approximately one of them. Yeah. Plus, plus yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you can, and, you know, there's a, when I visited your, um, your factory, um, you know, you were showing me, like, introduced me to people. This is Fred, you know, and he's been here 46 years. And this is John, he's been here 37 years. And I'd never been in a place where people had that kind of tenure of time. And, um, mm. you know, and it, there's a certain level of, sharpness in the culture of the company and you know i mean you're in a factory with brick walls and machines and a concrete floor and i mean what's that like for you because you grew up on that right yeah there's definitely a belief system in a business like that that has a lot of time and also in in the same space Mm -hmm. same place for all that time and you know there's there's a um in that business, it's really a connection to mm-hmm. the customer. And, you know, a lot of businesses say that, but really I just witnessed it over and over how people would just jump in and do whatever needed to be done, you know, to solve something for a customer, like a late order or something, you know, a really big event. We had some really big, uh, large orders that needed to get done on a certain time, but yeah, those belief systems of kind of hard work, helping each other, and uh, that focus on doing what needs to get done. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about that before as as a thought form accumulation there. 
a field. But uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for yeah, that. I just, I just thought of it um, myself. Uh, when I was in the factory, there was like an, a tangible expectation of success. I was like, yeah, we're, mm-hmm. you know, we, we mm-hmm. win here. And I was like, it was, mm-hmm. it wasn't like in a domineering thing or like crushing the competition. It was just, there's a commitment to excellence. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was palpable for me. So Clayton, what are, what are some examples of historical thought forms that might be affecting us that we don't even know about that, you know, could have us think thoughts that really aren't our thoughts, but they're coming from somewhere else. What mm-hmm. can you give us some examples of that? Well, um, recently there's been some incidents in the news that are, uh, I'm thinking of, um, strictly the George Floyd incident and, um, other, other things that seem to be racially oriented and, um, was um, I'm part of a men's group and I remember there was a they were teaching a course on helping everybody explore what race means to them and I thought that was a really interesting perspective because I don't usually think about that but at that time it was really um, it was really palpable I mean people were talking about it and um, it kind of brought to my awareness that you know, I live in a small town in the mountains in Canada. We have 10,000 people. It's pretty homogenous in a certain way, although it's changing. Which, and I just never really had a challenge with that in my life. And when I travel in different places, like when I was in the Middle East, um, lived there for a couple of years, I noticed myself seeing um, particularly um, – Western European people, you know, Canadians and Americans, I'm Canadian, uh, you know, we would typically dress in a certain way. And, and in those countries, they just don't reveal that much of their body. Their shorts are below their knees and there's a certain standard of dress that's just different. And after being there a couple of years, I started noticing how I would have a, a thought of that person's really dressed inappropriately. And it was a different type of thought than when I first got there. I didn't, I noticed the difference because it was evident. But as the longer I was there, I noticed there was a bit of a judgment to how they were dressed. And that just hadn't occurred to me before. Like it just was not Mm -hmm. not on my radar. So I think I was tuning into the, um, you know, the collective um, social contract that people had in that area about how you would dress and what it means if you didn't dress that way, they were disrespecting their their customs or something like that. And, you know, there wasn't any, there wasn't mm-hmm. any, any overt um, expression of it, but there were some places where they wouldn't let you in if you weren't dressed a certain way. And that's true in a lot of places, you know, I mean, I know in, even in our town, it's like there's signs on some of the doors, no shirt, no shoes, no service, especially where they're serving food. But, you know, that could be taken to an extreme mm-hmm. where people have, I think they're unconscious uh, thoughts about other people. Um, I think that's what was happening to me in the Middle East. I was starting to tune into that. And it was becoming unconscious. And I had to I had to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. So these were thought forms, local or regional thought forms, 
related to religious beliefs that were there sort of affecting everyone in the, in the area. Is yeah. I certainly saying? didn't have them in, uh, you know, where, like in Canada or where I was, uh, where I was living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't a bad mm-hmm. thought or a good thought. I mean, there's probably unconscious thought forms that are, that we're having here that I'm so, I'm so used to, I don't even know what they are. Mm-hmm. So there may be, you know, general, either local or national kind mm-hmm. of thought forms, maybe even global yeah. in some cases, thought forms that are affecting us. What we're talking about here are fields of consciousness, thought forms that show up in us as thoughts that we may think there are thoughts, mm-hmm. but they're really thoughts in, in, say, the cloud or the field of the local or national area. Is that what we're, what you're saying? Yeah, that's basically, I think, the place we've concluded. Um, that, you know, that's the place we arrived at together, Jeff. It's in the, you know, according to the mm-hmm. other ways that we have of measuring, measuring truth. That was the conclusion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not, a, it's not a new thought. It's just um, some people maybe haven't thought about it that way or it, they may have a different uh, perspective on it than, than we do from our experience but it's just good to talk about these things in a language that we can all agree on and start to pay attention mm-hmm. to what's going on in our head. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, one, of my, one of my favorite bumper stickers is don't believe everything you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, they're not our thoughts. You know, there's a small percentage that are actually our thoughts. So one of, one of their origins is these, you know, thought forms related to an, an area um, so where, you know, where do our thoughts come from? Uh, we're going to talk at the end of the episode and give people, uh, a tool to look at this and sort of test, uh, where your thoughts are coming from. And, um, I mean, there's thought forms of judgment. I know you were t- telling me about an experience with a houseless person, Clayton, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I was just walking down the street here, the main street in town, Baker Street, and uh, there was a there's a couple guys that are houseless, if you want to use that word, and and uh, usually I don't I don't uh, think much of it. I know the guy. Sometimes I'll say hi, and uh, this particular time, I uh, I had a real judgmental thought, and. Uh, you know, later on when I was kind of past them, I was wondering where that thought came from because it's usually not there. And, uh, you know, so we'll talk about how we, how I tried to discern that later on, but it was, that was just an example of people have thought forms around them. We could call them fields of consciousness. In that case, I am, I imagine that part of the influence would be the other people judging that because I had a judgmental thought and there's a, perhaps an accumulation of thought forms around those people. Mm-hmm. And maybe they felt shame or embarrassment or awkwardness at that time. And other times they didn't, I don't know really what was going on. I don't, it didn't take the time to try to unravel it. Even if I, if I could, I don't know that I can, but that was just one experience that had an impact on me because it was, it was just surprising, you know, what usually isn't there. And it mm-hmm. was really there that day. Mm-hmm. 
It's this idea that thoughts aren't necessarily our thoughts, but maybe coming from other places. It's, that's really a powerful concept. It's like, there's so much happening in our heads that we think is us and we think is our um, thoughts, whether it's maybe an inspirational thought, you know, like, wow, I'm really smart. You know, that really <laughs> came out. And <laughs> I think most of the time it's not, it's, uh, it's, it's something you and I see all the time in our field that we've created for FLFE that these thoughts come up and they're, man, that's way way beyond what I could think. And there it is. Um, it came from somewhere. So that's, that's an, opp- an opportunity there for us to really look and see what's happening. And is that my thought? Is that someone else's thought? And um, to, to know that there are these, these kind of global, national, local uh, thought forms around as we walk around the city or the, you know, go to different cities that there may be different thought forms that come in, come to us. Yeah. Just day to day life. You know, it's just, uh, it's really interesting when you go to different cultures and they have a different level of appreciation for things. I mean, I'm just thinking of Italy and how they, how much they just really, you know, worship good, well-cooked food, you know, and, and shoes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Certain things, good Italian friends. It's like, you know, they, they got like shoe closets or them clothes closets. And, you know, this part of their culture that they, they grew up that way. And, uh, yeah. And drinking <laughs> wine. I mean, going to Italy, like the times I've been to Italy and I've gone out to lunch and you, you know, there's all these Italian people there and everybody's drinking wine and, and, um, you're just, you know, I'm having three or four glasses of wine and, you know, I would never do that here. I mean, if I did that at lunchtime in the U S I'd be napping for sure. And in Italy, it's just part of everyday life. It seems to just, seems to be a field around that, which, and, you know, you might have Italian wine, it's the same wine, it seems. Um, but there's just something different about being in that environment where there's that celebration of life in food and, um, you know, community. People are going from table to table and coming over to talk to you and where are you from and um and the 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 the, the amount of wine being <laughs> yeah. impacted is just yeah. um but it doesn't seem to affect anyone it's just it's really an interesting phenomenon that i noticed i grew up at a good friend named uh, mark and he was italian that's why i used the italy story and he had the best house parties i've ever been to as a kid i just love to go over to this place him and his parents and his grandparents would be there and some relatives and it'd be like almost like that show uh, my big fat greek wedding or the movie where they would all got together and that you know that's how they were and and uh i was just thinking of that scene in, the, in my big fat greek wedding where they're having this party and the uh and they're roasting like a like a, a lamb or a goat or something on the front lawn and there's you know 50 people and and she brings a bunt cake bunt cake <laughs> you remember that scene it's this little cake with a hole in it mm-hmm. and, you know they've got like you know tables and tables of food and and um that's just you know i just think that's what's just coming to mind it's a different way of mm-hmm. just do, doing social things well speaking of food and and thought forms what's what's going on when i walk by 
graders ice cream and like my whole body is shouting at me to go get an ice cream. What what is going on there? There's like so many thoughts like go in, go in the door, eat this ice cream. Well, it's interesting. One of the first times when I really uh, got that there's many sources of thoughts is I was standing, I went to a health food company back in, God, I don't know, decades ago now. And uh, I was standing in line in Edmonton. We're on a road trip. And my friend who was, uh, was in partnerships with in the, in the business, who was one of the partners, um, we were standing in, you know, at the checkout. And there's these little candy called Jinjins or Jinsins. They're, they're like a ginger and they're mm-hmm. covered with this powdery white sugar. And uh, I said, oh, I'm going to get one of those. You want one? And he said, Oh yeah, my my bugs, the bugs, the bugs in my GI tract would really like that. And I was like, I just never, I never put two together like that. That's where the thought came from. It was the sugar craving, mm. you know, microflora in my GI tract that were craving those candies. Mm. And you know, like mm. for them, it's kind of survival. That's how they lived. So I imagine that when you're going by <laughs> graders, just great ice cream that, you know, whatever uh, microflora in your body, I don't know how they know it. <laughs> I don't know how they know. But I swear that's where those thoughts come from. And, we, you know, we can talk about how we measure that. It's, I think it's real. So the Candida wants some Candida candy. Candida wants some candy. Yeah. I wonder if that's where the name came from. Um, well, let's, let's talk about how people can – test their own thought, test where their own thoughts are coming from. Or when you get a thought, what, how can you tell that, you know, if that's your thought or not? Um, how, how do you do that, Clayton? So thought comes in your head. What would you do to determine if that's your thought or maybe where it came from? Well, these days, you know, I have a lot more experience with this sort of idea. So if I'm seeing the guy on this, you know, this houseless person and start to have a, a real strong judgment on it. Um, I just assume it's not for me, but um, for me, it was well, the way I learned to do all that was through kinesiology or muscle testing. So, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, a section of chiropractic that is, uh, that, that teaches or uses kinesiology. They, they teach it obviously in the school but they use it with patients. So if you go in, you get an adjustment, they'll, they'll do a test on your muscle to see if the, if the adjustment is held and if that muscle is now strong or nutritionists have used muscle testing for, for decades now to uh, determine if a supplement or a food is good for you. And, you know, we can talk about that in future episodes, but just to expose people to uh, kinesiology, you know, you have to test your polarity, ask if you have permission to make the inquiry, uh, state for the highest good, and then you would make the inquiry. How this thought originated from within me. That would be one way to approach it. We'll probably go into some details with inquiries and how you can play with that, and then you can start to ask questions in different different ways, and look for the origin of your of your thoughts. And um, <laughs> you know, our bodies have a. An, a an innate intelligence that's connected to divinity at all times, which bypasses the mind. And um, I know you have a different way of doing that, Jeff, which is 
you know, it recognizes the intelligence of the body. It's just not as much of a muscle testing process, but do you want to, you want to mm-hmm. share that? Yeah, no, this, so you're talking about self-testing. You're really kind of testing the strength of your muscle. It's either strong during a true statement or it's weak during a false statement. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was my thought that originated, you know, with me and to get a no, you know, and then you would move mm-hmm. on. Yeah, another way that I've done it, I tend to do it in, especially, um, you know, when I'm out in public somewhere is I'll feel, I'll feel my heart. So I just kind of get a sense of where my, how my heart feels, just kind of sensations. And I would make the statement, you know, that judgmental thought or that thought was my thought originated, originated with, you know, in my mind or in my being. Um, and if that's a true statement, I would feel my heart sort of expanding, you know, just kind of, it gets, it feels like soft. It sort of feels soft and open. It feels like my heart's opening. And if it's a false statement, because it really wasn't my thought, then it, my heart feels tight. It feels like it's contracting in my chest. So you got to get used to doing that. You could try that. It's like you, you, you test yourself, you know, my name is Jeffrey Stegman mm-hmm. and I feel that, that, you know, that opening sensation or that warmth or uh, expansion of the heart. Uh, and I'll, you know, make it, make an untrue statement and you feel that contraction. So you could practice that way um, until you, you kind of feel that moving. And in future episodes, we'll talk about muscle testing and other, other methods. So yeah, that's a way to test that thought, whether it was your, your thought or not. So, Clayton, do you have a general number of percentage of our thoughts that are our thoughts for the <laughs> general population? I, don't, I know you've done some research on that. Yeah, at one point I did um, a bunch of pie charts on if you're at a X level of consciousness, these are the five places that your thoughts come from, and what and what slice of the pie is mm-hmm. a, you know is 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 which. And then if you have, you know, X plus level of consciousness and X plus plus level of consciousness, we can get into that in the future, but I just can't remember it right now. And um, Hmm. with the end, you know, with COVID being what it was, you know, the world's starting to bounce back to its uh, its higher Hmm. levels in many ways. But there's a lot of us have, uh, you know, there's been a lot of fear and a lot of, um, a lot of challenges. And so, uh, Hmm. you know, there's, we're not uh, as a well. Some people are higher than they've ever been in consciousness, I suppose. But for a lot of us, we're we're just kind of getting back to our old selves with the more freedoms we have, and we're able to mm-hmm. live our lives the way that we that we were used to. So it's uh, yeah, it has been different. Yeah, I think we're running out of time with this episode, but in the next episode, we'll we'll talk more about how to measure consciousness you know, how we measure it on a scale, what the scale mm-hmm. looks like. Um, Dr. David Hawkins map of consciousness. And we'll talk about our experience with that and how we've used it um, in our own personal evolution and, uh, and in business with yeah. FLFE. So we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for joining Fields of Consciousness the podcast of Consciousness Conversations. We invite you to visit the link below the episode 
To experience a completely free trial of focused life force energy for 15 days. This is a big part of our life's work. Our goal being to support the optimal conditions for the evolution of consciousness in the economized society we live in. FLFE creates a pristine, loving, energetic environment for people to thrive in. It's our free gift to you, no credit card required. We invite you to subscribe to Fields of Consciousness and tune in next time. We release new episodes every other week on Tuesdays at 11, 11 a.m. PST. Onward and upward.